copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to open up to Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. That will be our text this morning. And uh, as Andrew alluded earlier, I'm preaching this morning on everyone's favorite topic, fasting. Um, fasting in the pursuit of righteousness, Matthew 6, 16 through 18. As a general practice, many of us, if not most of us, maybe even all of us, uh, don't include um, fasting in our daily routine. In fact, I, I might ask, or I'll ask, how many of you, no, I won't do that, because I don't want you to raise your hand, that would be against the very principle of what Jesus is saying in the text. <coughs> Rhetorically, when was the last time you thought about fasting? When was the last time that you actually thought and considered about fasting? I mean, other than what's required before a medical examination or procedure. When was the last time you thought about fasting? Like for a spiritual reason, right? And the answer to that question for many of us may be never. Maybe we've never thought about fasting as a spiritual discipline. Maybe, we've, maybe it's been a long, long, long time since we've thought about fasting as a spiritual discipline, as if it's something that we did a long time ago, but, but we, we don't do that now. Or maybe for you that it, it is a spiritual discipline that you employ in your journey, your walk with Christ. Whatever the case this morning, I, I don't want us just to kind of gloss over this, these short three verses as if, well, that's a, that's a great encouragement from God's word, but not necessarily something that needs to be in place and in practice in my life. Because that's not the reality of what Jesus is talking about. Again, this is the context of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is preaching this sermon, teaching his disciples about these important things that they need to have in place and important distinctions for their life and their relationship with walking in Christ, for their relationship of walking with Christ. And so one question as we approach this text this morning is what does fasting have to do with pursuing righteousness? What does fasting have to do with pursuing righteousness? I'm going to read in verses 16 through 18 and invite you to follow along. He says, and when you fast in verse 16, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have their they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Let us pray together. Father, as we look into your word this morning. I pray that you would teach us the truth of your word, Lord, that you would anoint not only my lips, but all of our ears as we listen and that your Holy Spirit might even make application in each of our lives that exhorts us and encourages us and leads us to a greater righteousness, walking with you to a greater love for you and a closer uh, a, a nearness, a greater nearness to you. So, Father, I pray that you would instruct us during this time through your word, that you would seal your word like seed sown into fertile soil into our hearts and our minds. Now, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart 
would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. What does fasting have to do with pursuing righteousness? Perhaps Jesus was hinting at this very thing when he spoke in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, uh, Matthew 5, when he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I think it's somewhat paradoxical that while food nourishes the body, fasting feeds the hungry soul. Fasting feeds the hungry soul. That is to say that fasting satisfies a spiritual hunger for righteousness. I think not only does fasting satisfy a spiritual hunger for righteousness, but fasting can also help to create a spiritual hunger for righteousness. Because in fasting, when we fast, we are exercising something called self-denial. We are denying self and denying the body. And so Jesus is teaching his disciples about fasting. And while teaching them, he tells them what not to do and what they should do. And like the past two weeks, we begin by noting that Jesus asserts, really, as a matter of fact, concerning the disciples, that they will fast. He says in verses 16 and 17, verse 16, and when you fast, right? Not if, but when. In verse 17, and, uh, or but, when you fast, right? The The idea here is this is just an assertion that Jesus is making. This is going to be part of what the disciples do. I think for many in the American church, fasting is a it's a spiritual discipline that's that's lost today. And while we may have an idea of what fasting is, I want us to take an opportunity to just kind of think a little bit more practically about what fasting does in our lives and why fasting is something that Jesus is exhorting the disciples that they will do, that it will be part of their lives. And so let's ask, answer the question, what is fasting? Just simply put, fasting is when we voluntarily, it's when we voluntarily abstain from food for a specified length of time. That length of time is not determined by Scripture. That length of time, it's a subjective thing. It's between you and the Father. It's an agreement that you make before and between God, with God. God, I I want to fast for this period of time and for this reason. And you, you state that reason and that time length and what you're fasting from, kind of in the beginning, almost as a covenant that you're making with the Lord. So fasting is just voluntarily abstaining from food, is what Jesus is talking about. So there's also different types of fasting that we see in Scripture. The different types of fasting, one would be absolute fasting. And I just want to give you a few of these. Like, for example, Esther, uh, she calls for an absolute fast as she's going before the king. She calls Mordecai and tells Mordecai to assemble all the Jews in Susa and that they are to fast for three days, fasting from water and food, not eating or drinking anything. So we have these absolute fasts that we see in Scripture. We have normal fasts that we see in Scripture where the person refrains from eating any food, drinks only water. This is the type of fast that most likely likely that Jesus uh, entered as he went into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights to be tempted by Satan. There's a partial fast. An example of a partial fast would be in the book of Daniel. We see Daniel and his friends Uh, They abstain from the food of the pagan king, and they eat only 
vegetables and drink water for the period of time that was allotted to them. So this is a partial fast. And then we see in Scripture also what's called a supernatural fast. It requires a miracle of God for his provision of one's own physical body. It occurs in the Bible when Moses was on Mount Sinai with God and he had no food or drink for 40 days. It occurs a second time with Elijah the prophet. So these are the different types of fasts that we see in Scripture, but there are also different reasons for fasting. In the Old Testament, there was both a corporate or a public fast and a private fast or an individual fast. Leviticus 23, 27 details that the people of Israel were to fast on the Day of Atonement. This was a corporate fast, a national public fast. Another illustration or time when uh, there was a corporate fast or a, a, a national fast would be times of crises, like a drought, or when the crops would get a disease, or famine, or earthquake. What they would do is they would enter a time of fasting, and they would grieve, and they would mourn, and they would demonstrate their repentance to the people of God. This is what they would do in their fasts. But in the Old Testament, we see these fasts carried out. How do we see these fasts carried out in the New Testament? Well, as we look through Scripture, we see fasting carried out in the New Testament through, uh, through the appointing of elders or before, uh, before a team is sent off on a missionary journey. We see fasting uh, illustrated or demonstrated by the disciples, even by Christ himself, where Jesus tells the disciples, this kind of demon will only come out by prayer and fasting, right? And so there, there's a sense in, in which through, throughout the New Testament we see fasting is demonstrated and still is involved in the life of the people of God. But why does Jesus choose to elevate fasting as an important teaching for his disciples? In fact, one of the, one of the disciples of John came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 9, verse 14, and asked Jesus... Why do his disciples, he says, John's disciples, they fast. But why do the Pharisees, and the Pharisees fast, but why do your disciples not fast, Jesus? And so he had this question. Jesus is teaching about fasting, but why aren't your disciples fasting? It's a great question. Jesus' response in verse 15 of Matthew chapter 9 was, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast so why fast? I think fast because Jesus expects that we will fast, number one. But secondly, understanding that fasting promotes a, a sort of a, a feasting of the soul. It's a way of subduing our fleshly appetite so that we might grow in righteousness and closeness with God. Whatever the reason we see throughout Scripture for fasting, they all have one common denominator, and that common denominator is growing in a closer relationship with God, with Christ. And so this is always the intended goal of, of a true fast that's found throughout Scripture. And so one of the things we might understand as we approach the topic of fasting is that fasting always sets as its, as its goal growing closer to the Lord Jesus Christ, growing in righteousness. And so Jesus talks about their really two types of fasting that he confronts here. One is a, a false type of fasting, and one is a true fasting. And so fasting that yields temporal rewards, we, we see that in verse 16. He says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, 
So they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So Jesus is confronting the hypocrisy of these pious Jews. It was a custom for the Jew of the day to fast twice a week on Monday and on Thursday. And so what Jesus is saying to his disciples, to his followers, is don't put on a gloomy face when you fast as the hypocrites do. Don't give the appearance to others that you're fasting. The hypocrites are the ones who who like to publicize their righteous acts. And so Jesus is saying, don't be like the hypocrites in that you're publicizing your righteousness before others. Instead, do this in secret. Be secret about these righteous acts. Be secret so that you grow in your relationship with Christ. Your father, when he sees this in secret, he's going to reward you. Don't worry about displaying your righteousness for all men to see. Instead, worry about seeking your father with righteousness that is done in secret. You see, the hypocrites would do things like they would neglect their appearance. They would cover their faces with ashes and And as a sign of mourning, they would walk around with this gloomy, drab look on their face, maybe even cover themselves with sackcloth, right? I mean, they're proclaiming to everybody, I'm in mourning and I'm fasting. And people would look at them and say, my goodness, look how how serious they are in their relationship with God. I mean, every Monday and Thursday, I see him fasting. I wish I could be that, that righteous. And because of that, people would begin thinking, Man, they're really, they're really, they're really following God. And what Jesus is confronting here is he's confronting this pious hypocrisy. And this pious hypocrisy that says, hey, look at me. Look at how righteous I am. Look at how good I am. And so Jesus is challenging this mindset. And he's saying that it's, it's wrong, that they're putting on this sad face outwardly, but inwardly, they're really delighting in the attention of others. And I think deep down, though it may not be through the exercise of fasting, we, we can understand a little bit of how desperately wicked our hearts can be, right? Where in conversation, it might just slip that you were spending time at 4.30 in the morning praying, right? you were doing some righteous deed where you just kind of let it be known a little bit, right? How desperately wicked are our hearts in those moments? And what we do, Jesus says, is we're, we're robbing that eternal reward from the Father. And we're getting our reward at that moment when someone else is thinking of you, how righteous, how holy that person is. Wow, I admire them. So we must be careful. And so Jesus is calling our attention to this Secret righteousness. And Jesus is saying, truly, I say to you that they've received their reward. It's the recognition of men. You see, when we seek status or seek position among men, we forfeit our heavenly reward. We might gain temporal recognition, but there's no eternal benefit when we do such a thing. And the point Jesus makes is don't publicize your fasting. Before men. Don't publicize your righteous acts before others, right? The three pillars of Judaism we've been looking at for the last four weeks. It was almsgiving at the beginning of chapter 6, then prayer, secondly, and now fasting. These are, these are the three pious acts that people do in this day in order to be righteous and to grow in righteousness. 
What might those be in our lives? I think almsgiving as well. Prayer, yes. Fasting, yes. I do think fasting is a necessary discipline, though it's not commanded in Scripture. Jesus does assert, assume, that his disciples will take part in fasting. And so when we fast, Jesus is saying, don't be like the hypocrites. Instead, be secret about it. Be secretive about it. Now, we're about to enter into a time and a season where fasting uh, is, is, uh, is celebrated in our culture, really, especially in South Louisiana for the Lenten season, right? People will fast from meat on Fridays uh, so that they'll eat seafood only. People will fast for, the 40, uh, for 40 days from uh, anything. Right from chocolate to Facebook to phones to you name it, uh, and and in one sense there's a there's a nobleness about this fast, right? But what's the motive behind it? And that's what Jesus is getting at. What is the motive behind our fasting, behind our righteous activity? Is the motive that we're seeking to live by bringing glory to God? Or is the motive bringing glory to self? And that's what's got to be in check here. What's our motive when we are doing these righteous acts? And the motive is, the motive of the, the child of God is that we're to bring glory to God. That, that is where our motives need to be. And if they're not, we need to pray that they will be there and work diligently to make them there. And here's the number one way. Listen to this. This is the number one way to make sure that our motives remain pure. To guard our motives. secret with it before the Lord. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Not only do we see fasting that yields temporal reward, we see fasting that yields eternal rewards. And the fasting which yields eternal rewards in verses 17 and 18, he says, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who's in secret. See, washing and anointing, washing the face and anointing the head, it usually marked the end of the fast so that it gave the impression actually that you were not fasting. In other words, this is like the, the person that gets up in the morning and puts the lotion on their face and gets ready for the day and looks like they're just they're ready to go for the day. Right. This w- this wouldn't be something that we would say, OK, if I'm going to fast properly, I need to get up and I need to. Uh, wash my face and anoint my head with oil and then go out into the day. That's, that's not what he's saying. It's saying that he's saying that you get up and you go about the day. That you don't necessarily put on this sackcloth and ashes. Maybe in private you do, okay? Uh, you mourn and you grieve before the Lord, but he's saying that you carry about the normal day. So those who fast in secret, they're the ones who don't want to display before everybody that they're fasting. And so Jesus is saying fast in such a way that your fasting isn't noticed by others, but it's noticed by God. So I think Jesus is calling us here to this private fast so that we might fast with the right motive. Because when we fast with the right motive, it's God who sees and knows what's done in secret and God gets the glory. And then God does reward those who come to him secretly with righteousness. So he hears our prayer and he sees the fasting of his people and he graciously responds to our petitions. 
And I, I think what we need to see as well is that self-denial is a necessary part of fasting. Perhaps that's why we don't like it so much, right? I mean, if we're honest, maybe we even hate it. We hate the idea of fasting. Because it calls us to self-denial. It calls us to, to minimize ourselves and to maximize our dependence on God. Matthew Henry, in his commentary, states, It's an act of self-denial and mortification of the flesh, a holy revenge upon ourselves and humiliation under the hand of God. The point of fasting is humiliation of the soul. It's the, the lowering of oneself before a holy God. There's probably no greater discipline lacking in the lives of Christians in America than the discipline of fasting. So I know that fasting is difficult and it's hard and we don't like to do it because it calls us to deny self, to mortify the flesh in order to depend upon God greatly. So Jesus in this text doesn't tell us when to fast. He only tells us how to fast when we do. And throughout Scripture, we see many different times of fasting. There are private fasts, there are congregational fasts, there are national fasts, and each of these have their place within the church and within God's people. And so Jesus instructs us on the how. When you wake up in the morning, anoint your head, wash your face, go about your day, not declaring to everybody that you're fasting, but go about your day normally as you generally would. And so I want to give us four biblical reasons. I think fasting is God's design for his people and is a spiritual discipline that Jesus exhorts us to. One, F, fast, forsake sin, return to God, and overcome temptation. Forsake sin, return to God, and overcome temptation. Forsaking sin, just it means to flee from sin. It means to come to a place of repentance and to return to God. Because unfortunately, as God's people, we can come to a place in life where sin masters us. And what we see in Scripture is that fasting is one of those disciplines that we can, we can employ and that we can enter into as we come before God and we can break these chains of sin that hold us in bondage. Fasting offers that power and that connection with the Father. This was the case in Joel, Joel 2, 12 and 13, where he writes, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting and weeping and mourning and rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. I think as believers, we must be careful not to stray from God after the fleeting pleasures of this world that so often distract us and, and, and lead us to places that we don't want to go. To do so, it grieves the Holy Spirit. And so fasting guards us against this grieving of the spirit, fasting guards us against sin. It, it brings us to this place of repentance. There are times when, when fasting for the purpose of returning to God is, is vital for the Christian. So this is one way that when we fast, we forsake sin, we return to God, and we overcome temptation. 
I think this type of fast, it, it breaks the bondage and the power of sin over us and it guards us against the enemy's attacks. Think about Jesus in Matthew 4. I know we've used that several times, but it, it just precedes the Sermon on the Mount. Think about Jesus as he goes into the wilderness. He goes for 40 days and nights. And he goes to be tempted by Satan. And in the midst of his wilderness struggle, what does he do? He's fasting. And three different times, in fact, he's tempted. But Jesus is equipped with with a spiritual power from on high so that when Satan comes, he's able to respond. Man doesn't live by bread alone, right? But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You see, there is a spiritual sustenance that fasting brings into our lives. The second purpose, I think, for fasting is in fasting, we ask of God in prayer. Fasting and prayer are closely related. We ask of God in prayer. We intercede for others, even as we've done this morning. But with fasting, we intercede more deeply. Fasting is closely linked to prayer because we can pray without fasting, but we can't fast without praying. Because if we're fasting without praying, we're just starving the body. We're frustrating ourselves. But when we fast, we pray to God. Fasting without prayer has no benefit for the soul, but fasting with prayer has great benefit for the soul. So when we fast, we draw near to God. We do it in such a way that that we are we are seeking his presence. And in the midst of fasting and praying before the Lord, it's almost as if God's presence is tangible. There's an extraordinary clarity about our intercession before the Lord when we are fasting. And it's different than the times that we're not fasting. But we don't fast in order to manipulate or bend God's will. We fast in order to pursue God's purposes in in life and to, to shape our will according to his will. And it's through fasting that our prayer life is strengthened. It's almost like fasting is a secret weapon in a believer's life. If fasting is not a part of your discipline in walking with the Lord, I want to encourage you to employ fasting in your spiritual journey. To take Jesus' words here to heart when you fast, right? Not if, but when you fast. David Brainerd, in his journal entry on June 14th of 1742, said, I set apart this day for secret fasting and prayer to entreat God to direct and bless me with regard to the great work I have in view of preaching the gospel. God enabled me to wrestle ardently in intercession for absent friends. The Lord visited me marvelously in prayer. I think my soul never was in such agony before. I felt no restraint, for the treasures of divine grace were open to me. I wrestled for absent friends, for the ingathering of souls, for multitudes of poor souls, for many that I thought were the children of God, personally, in many different distant places. David Brainerd is telling us about this time of fasting where he sensed the great nearness of God and just this connectedness that he had with the Father as he was interceding for the souls of the lost, for others within his congregation. Through fasting, we are able to ask God in prayer, even grieve before God, even grieve before God in prayer. There are times in every believer's life when words are just inadequate to express the sorrow of our hearts, to express the grief that we feel over destruction, 
over the loss of a loved one, over many difficult trials. And prayer, prayer with God connected with fasting, seems to bring a level of comfort and peace to the soul that can't be found anywhere else. And in those times, I think it does well to accompany prayer with fasting. Fasting becomes the expression of our great need for God, our dependence on God. 2 Samuel 12, 15 through 20, David, David in his sin had brought forth a child with Bathsheba. And after Nathan the prophet had come to him and confronted him in his sin, David fasted and inquired of God for the life of the child. And on the seventh day when the child had passed, it says, then he worshiped the Lord and he ate. Fasting, we forsake our sin. We return to God and we overcome temptation. We ask of God in prayer and we submit to God's guidance and direction. We submit to God's guidance and direction. Fasting teaches us to notice the work of God. And that is because when we're fasting, we are uniquely tuned in to seek and to see God's hand at work in the world around us. Fasting is really a way of humbling ourselves before God. And through fasting, we come face to face with the weakness of our mortal flesh. We understand just how dependent we are on physical food for our sustenance. And in fasting, it, it teaches us, not just, li just like we're, phys we're physically dependent on food, it teaches us that we are to be spiritually dependent upon God, upon Christ. That's what fasting teaches us. And so in the midst of fasting, we, we humble ourselves before God. We actively submit to his divine leading. You know, I, one of the ways I think we need to be more readily. Um, one of the ways we need to be more ready to practice fasting is in the midst of big decisions in life. I remember the first time I was in college, the first time when I fasted. And we were praying uh, as a member of a church. We were praying about calling a man to be the pastor of the church. And I began fasting and praying a few days before in order to discern God's will. And as I was fasting and praying and seeking to discern God's will, uh, I was praying, asking the Lord to show me and to help me understand and searching the scriptures to see if it was God's will for for Koto Baptist Church to call this man to be the pastor. And as I led up all the way up until that morning and the time of hearing him preach before the congregation and then voting as a congregation, I was praying, Lord, help me to understand. Help me to understand. I, I just I was lacking a sense of peace. And it wasn't until after that the vote was cast and he was called that I understood why I was lacking a sense of peace. And it was through trial and error that I learned that here's how you discern and hear from the Lord. Here's how you seek to understand the, the peace of Christ in the midst of, of fasting and praying and seeking God's face. There's another time when I uh, engaged in fasting and uh, this was just in discerning the Lord's call on here, coming to Crosspoint. And uh, there was a 
particular day, it had been about two months, um, I won't give you all the backstory, but it had been about two months since I had heard anything from the pastor search team and was kind of waiting and just out of the blue, I sensed the Lord prompting me to enter a, a day of fasting and prayer for the pastor search team uh, here at Cross Point. And it was that day that I began fasting and praying. I didn't tell Tara. Uh, and Tara didn't know anything about it. And that evening, we were taking a, a, a big trip into the city of Alexandria uh, to go to Academy and to eat at Outback. It was a family celebration. Uh, and so I was going to break my fast that evening. Uh, and on the way there, I told Tara, I said, I've been praying today for Cross Point for the pastor search team, and, um, and I'm going to break my fast tonight when we go in. And she said, you know, I've been praying today, too, for Crosspoint and the pastor search team. Uh, and so that was really incredible for us. You know, it be, had been led at the same time. But on the way back, I received a call. And the call was telling me that the pastor's church te search team had dismissed the candidates they were looking at and would be giving me a call the following day to talk to me about submitting my resume and filling out the questionnaire. And it was in that moment that the Lord had prepared me, and I had learned that, that that's the peace of Christ working in the midst of his people, uh, in the midst of my life. That's the, the leading of God, understanding how, uh, how God is at work in the midst of, of our lives and, and being open and ready to see God at work. And so th there are times in life where there are big decisions. And I think when we're making these big decisions, whether it's, whether it's moving or, or taking another job, Right. Or even, you know, even uh, getting married. I mean, all of these different things, what school we're going to go to, all of these big decisions in life. Don't discount the need to fast, to pray, to seek God's guidance and direction. Well, in fasting, we submit uh, we submit to to God's guidance and direction. And then fourthly, T, we tell God of his word. Sometimes a fast is for no other reason than to nourish our own spiritual health and to grow in our relationship with God, to worship God through personal sacrifice and in growing closer with the Lord. I think this is what Jesus is getting at in Matthew 9, 14. He says, right now, right now they've got the bridegroom with them, and so they're not fasting. They're feasting because they're enjoying the nearness and the presence of me, the bridegroom. But when I leave, then, then they will fast. So we see that the Pharisees come and they question and the disciples of John question. But then Jesus responds to them and says, the bridegroom's here so they can't mourn. But when he leaves, those days are coming when the bridegroom isn't here, when he's taken away, then they will fast. So the encouragement that I, I want to give us this morning as we consider the necessity of fasting in our own spiritual journey with Christ. Are we considering the need for forsaking sin in our own life, returning to God, overcoming temptation? Are we battling in that way? Are we, are we asking God in prayer to work in our lives, to guard us? Are we submitting to God's guidance and direction? Are we telling God of His worth, worshiping Him and, and praising Him? I think these are all ways that when we fast, we can do this in relationship to God. And so Jesus says that when we fast, we should do so privately. Because in private fasting, we're worshiping God privately and we're growing in righteousness. And so he says, your father who sees in secret will reward you. 
Well, there is certainly an eternal reward to walking righteously with God. And the eternal reward is enjoying God's presence, being with God in his presence for all of eternity. There's also some earthly rewards in the midst of the fast, in the midst of the secret pursuit of righteousness. And those earthly rewards look like knowing God's presence today in the here and now, experiencing the present reality of Christ's kingdom. He walks with us. And that by his spirit, he equips us, he guides us, he empowers us to walk through life and to even be used by him to make his kingdom known, to accomplish what we what we pray when we pray the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when we ask God in prayer and we seek to forsake sin and overcome temptation and we submit ourselves to his divine will and we tell God of his word. When we do these things through fasting, there is, a, there is a closeness and a nearness by which we draw to God, where we experience the great presence of the Lord in a very affirming way, in a very close way. So I want to encourage you, if you've not, if you've never practiced the discipline of fasting, to pray about and to consider taking Jesus at his word here and to begin practicing fasting. It may look like skipping a meal, fasting from one meal. Maybe it looks like you, skip, you, you fast for a full day or maybe, you, you be, maybe you've already fasted and, and, and maybe for you, you fast for three days. And, and the point of it is to grow in dependence upon the Lord and to draw near to God, to grow in righteousness. So this is kind of like 201 in the Christian life, right? I mean, this is like, um, this is pursuing the greater righteousness. And when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Do you want to be satisfied in Christ, believer? Do you want to be satisfied in Christ? What Jesus is exhorting us to is a secret righteousness that satisfies us in our relationship to God. Pray with me. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we consider your word this morning, and the words of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, even consider the biblical examples that we see all throughout Scripture of people who fast to draw near to you, to discern your will, to submit themselves to you, to be guarded against temptation and the work of the enemy, the evil one. I pray, God, that you would, you would grow us in our desire to pursue righteousness. God, that you would create within us a holy hunger for righteousness. And Lord, that you might satisfy that, that we would look to you and only to you for, uh, for the satisfaction that comes from walking nearer to you, nearer with you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would guard us this morning. God, that you would entreat us into a, a, a closer walk with you. And Father, that you would even encourage us in our relationship with you to go deeper, to exercise spiritual disciplines, not for any legalistic sake, not for any pious observance of others, but Lord, for a secret righteousness that nurtures and nourishes our walk with you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.